want to welcome you uh, to the kickoff of a series. We're talking about how to change your life, um, especially if you're new. If you're a guest here with us today, if you came at Easter or this happens to be your first weekend, we want to welcome you. Let's give them a North Point welcome if they're here for the first time. You know, just a few minutes ago, uh, there was a great passage that was read to you on change and how through faith in Christ, through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, how you experience lasting, deep, radical, permanent kind of change. And everybody wants to see their life change uh, in a good way for one reason or another. Um, but I don't think that there is any other place like Galatians, maybe with the exception of Ephesians 4 and 5 that is really parallel to this. In fact, I'd encourage you to just to write that reference down and read it later, Ephesians 4 and 5, because it does such a great job, and Galatians does such a great job. What I want to do today is to show, if you just write this down, grab your notes, I want to show from the very beginning here, write this down, that if you're going to make changes in your life, if you're going to make positive changes in your life, you're gonna have to understand what change by Jesus actually looks like. In other words, you have to understand the pattern of it. You have to understand the process of it. Now, check this out. Here in Galatians is a phrase that is the key to the whole thing, and it is a very familiar phrase. You'll notice it on the screen as the scripture comes up. It's called the fruit of the what? How many of you have heard that before? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. Why do you think Paul uses the term fruit? For example, why doesn't Paul use the term traits or characteristics? Paul is deliberately invoking a metaphor that has to do with botanical growth. And I think that Paul's doing it intentionally because it tells us something about change that comes from Jesus when we experience his power in our life. Now, if you don't believe me, I want you to see how many times the biblical writers invoke this type of change. For example, we read last week when we were talking about the resurrection. Notice 1 Peter, it does the same thing. Notice he says, you were born by the imperishable seed of the word of God. That has to do with botanical growth. Or even in the Old Testament, Psalms 1 talks about the fact that the godly, it says they are like trees planted along a what? A river bank bearing fruit in its season. Their leaves don't wither, they prosper in all they do. Again, botanical growth. Now, the reason for that is to tell us something about the nature of change that we want to pick up on. I, I hope you're here You've come today saying, Jesus, I want you to change my life, and I want it to be lasting, and, and if I could use the, the term, fruitful. There are four things actually about the nature of change, if you think about it, that Paul is really telling us here that I'm going to go over. Then I'm going to give you just a couple of reminders at the end. I'm going to tee it up for next week. Does that sound good? All right, here we go. Four things. Let's go over them about the nature of change, the process, the pattern. Here's the first thing you've got to write down. Change by Jesus is always gradual. Write that down. Change by Jesus is gradual. Like, like it's as gradual as a turnip growing or a potato growing or a flower. Anybody ever plant things? If you've ever planted anything, you know that it's gradual. In fact, botanical growth, which is what Paul's talking about here, you never see it happening. Now, you can know it's happening. You can believe it's happening, 
but you actually don't see it happening in real time, do you? Growth is always so small, it's so gradual that you just, you, you're not gonna see it. It can only be measured over a certain amount of time. So if you give it a while, you can look back and go, wow, there's really been some change here. For example, when this tree was planted, if you take a look at this picture, you probably, when it was first planted, you barely notice. I mean, it was probably just a little twig. But over time, through the gradualness of growth, what does it do? It starts to disrupt things. In fact, um, if I were to ask you, hey, who's going to win in a fight, a giant piece of concrete or a little bitty seed, who would you say would win? You'd probably, I mean, the common sense is going to tell you, well, between the seed and the concrete, the concrete's going to win, but given the right circumstances, given the right environment, given the right growth, the seed actually always wins. Paul is trying to say something about our life. Now, you say, Pastor, what does this mean for me practically? Ready? It's simply this. You need to be patient. You don't see change overnight, and that is pretty normal. Now, sometimes you will, sometimes you will notice some things, but your overall life change takes place over time. Now, here's something else. I think that we all know, when you think about this example or this metaphor that Paul, Paul's using here, you all know that there are seasons for fruit trees. In other words, there are some seasons that growth comes faster than others. There are other seasons it's really, really slow. In fact, how many of you know fruit trees have to go through the wintertime? Is that right? Let me ask you this question. During the wintertime, is the tree still growing? Yeah, it's part of the cycle. But what does the tree actually look like often? It looks dead. You don't see anything. Sometimes our lives are the same way. But you hear what I'm saying? The bottom line is that growth is tricky. Now, we love the spring. There's not a person I've ever met that doesn't love the springtime of change. They love it when they can see it. They can feel it. They can emotionally engage in what God is doing, to use the metaphor. But what I'm saying to you is there are winters. There are seasons where you don't notice things. So just remember, it is seasonal it is sometimes more visible than others. It goes through winters where you look dead, but it's growing. And I say that because some of you today need to be encouraged. God is working in your life, even if you don't always feel it. I tell you time and time again, don't trust your feelings anyway. We are people of faith over feeling. Is that right? That's right. Just because it's slow doesn't mean it's not happening. But... Let me go to the other hand, or the flip side. I'm gonna give you the next one. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Write this down. Change by Jesus is not just gradual. The Bible also tells us change by Jesus, if he's really in your life, is inevitable. It's inevitable. Now, this is an important one. Because if you have the Spirit of God really within you, listen to me, you will be changed. You must. Remember last week we talked about the resurrection. Jesus turned to Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and the what? And the life. Where he is, there is life. Where he is, there will be life. There will be resurrection. There will be revolution. Something will begin to happen. Listen to me, let me put it to you this way. If Jesus is really in your life, you will see that you will worry less. You will see that you will become more patient you will see that you will become a more loving person. You will. You will become wiser. 
You will be able to face your troubles. Listen to me, it's not a maybe, it's a must. Now, by the way, over this series, we're gonna say this over and over and over again. You guys gotta understand this. In fact, you might write this down. It's not in your notes, but I want, I want you to keep this in mind. Listen to me. You're not saved by your fruit. You're saved by your faith. Let me say that again. You're not saved by your fruit. You're saved by your faith. But you will never be saved if it's a fruitless faith. Let me say that again. You will never be saved if it's a fruitless faith. In other words, there is an evidence of your salvation. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. I don't know how many of you remember the story, but let me drive this home a little bit for you if I can. How many of you remember the story of the curse of the fig tree? Anybody remember that? Maybe you're here and you say, I've never heard that before. Let me tell you about it. Jesus saw a fig tree in the distance, and it says he saw the fig tree, it was in leaf. Everybody say in leaf. Now what that means is, is that the fig tree was leafy. It was showing a lot of green. It says, so he went to the fig tree to see if it had any figs on it, but he found no figs. What did he find? Only leaves. So any of you remember what Jesus did to that tree? He curses it. Why? Because there's no fruit. Now here's something you've got to know about fig trees. With fig trees, the, the fruit always precedes the leaves. So if you look at a fig tree and you see that it's leafy, but there's no fruit, there's a problem with that fig tree. If there's leaves, there most certainly is fruit. Well, Jesus sees the leaves and he goes, there must be fruit. What's Jesus doing there? Listen to me, he's giving you a very stark warning and me. He's saying you could be leafy, but not have fruit. What should that mean for me? It means I need to ask myself some hard questions, some searching questions, and I hope you do today. And I hope you don't just ask it of yourself, but you ask the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you don't just ask the Holy Spirit, but can I encourage you this? Ask your friends. Ask the people closest to you, do I bear fruit? Hey, men, if you're married here, ask your wives. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Wives, ask your husbands, do I bear fruit? Now listen to me, guys. I'm gonna say something very challenging here to you. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. You've grown up in church, but you still can't keep secrets. You gossip all the time. And you know, because you can't keep secrets, nobody likes to give you any secrets. <laughs> Some of you have been in church a long time, but I gotta tell you, you're a crab. You're undiplomatic, you're abrasive, and you don't have a whole lot of friends. Think about that. Over the years, there have been quirks in you. Some of you, you have these secret sins, these sins that you do in the dark. You haven't been able to overcome it. You've not seen change. It's been a long, long time. Others, you're not a very loving person. You tend to be resentful. You come to church all the time, but you're resentful. You're always getting hurt, or you're always getting your feelings hurt. Listen, this is why if I'm speaking to some of you, I know you're gonna send me connection cards. I wanna apologize in advance. I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but this is why some of you, you go from church to church. You go from group to group. You go from town to town. You go from job to job. And notice, you're always feeling snubbed by people. Now, do you get the idea Listen to me, there is a lack of joy. 
there is a lack of peace. There is a lack of patience. There is a lack of kindness. There is a lack of gentleness. Some of you, you lack kindness and you're like, well, that's just the way I am. You know, I'm just straight up. I tell you the truth. Wrong. You can tell the truth, but you should still be kind. Stop excusing yourself. A lack of faithfulness a lack of self-control. In other words, there are years that go by with no measured difference. Listen to me, you can see growth. It can be measured over time. This is not a botanical seed we're talking about. This is the Spirit of God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Does that make sense? You will see a resurrection. How do you know there's change in your life? You should see some evidence. Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll know them. Okay, let's keep going here. You ready? Number three. The Bible says that change is always internal. This is a very important one because we get confused about this all the time. Guys, I'm gonna give you some information today that if you just, man, I want you to keep these notes forever and remind yourself of these things because Christians get confused about this stuff. Is God really operating in here? Listen to me. Let me say this again. Change by Jesus is what? Internal. Now, here's what I mean. If I were to ask you, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Would you say, oh, well, the fruit of the Spirit is leading people. Or the fruit of the Spirit is counseling people. Or the fruit of the Spirit is managing people well. Or it's editing or dancing or singing. I mean, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Let me ask you another question. You ready? Rhetorically. Do you think that the fruit of the Spirit is your Bible intelligence? How well you know the word, you know. We are the sheep that eat the meat. We know the word, you know. Well, is that the fruit of the Spirit? Ooh, here's another challenging one, because people in the church, Christian church, get this confused all the time. What about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisma? What about prophecy and tongues and miracles and words of knowledge and worship services that are ecstatic. You know, I've had so many people leave North Point. You know why? They'll say, man, this is not a spirit-filled church. You can tell a spirit-filled church. Oh, can you? How can you do that? Oh, well, they're the ones that get excited. Is that really the fruit of the spirit? Listen to me. I, I, I think people are funny. In fact, I, I had somebody come up to me and they go, Pastor, you're so filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, they said, Pastor, you can always tell the Spirit-filled ones because of the way they smile. I'm like, how's this look to you, you know? <laughs> Listen to me. Do not be fooled. What is fruit? Fruit is an internal disposition it has to do with how you react to things, how you respond to your environment. It has to do specifically with how you respond to negative things. How do you measure fruit? Well, let me put it to you this way. There are a lot of Christians that seem like they're growing, but it's not Holy Spirit growing. It's what I'd call mechanical growth as opposed to organic growth. Now you say, well, what do you mean? What's the difference between organic growth and mechanical growth? Well. Organic has to do with it's alive. There's actually life in you. Mechanical means you're just going through motions. What do I mean? Listen, I could throw bricks. Look at this picture. I could throw bricks on a pile of bricks. And let me ask you, would that, would that pile be growing? Come on, would it? Yeah, but it's not organic growth, is it? The pile's growing, yes, but 
It's only growing in quantity. There's no quality. Is that pile, let me ask you a few more questions. Lots of questions today, huh? Is that pile becoming more complex? Is that pile becoming more vital? Let me ask you an easy question. Is the pile alive? Why? Because if it's alive, it'll grow internally. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of Christians that they're no more than a pile of growing bricks. In other words, they're mechanically going through it. They're growing through the motions, but there's not real life in here. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, guys, let me just tell you, this is true of the history of the church. Let me give you an example. Two great men, John Wesley and Martin Luther. Anybody recognize those names? Do we all understand that these are men who were, these are pillars of the church, of the Protestant church that said, we go to the word of God. We are the sheep that eat the meat. You know, we dig in. But these are two examples of men that were very religious for several years. They did good things. They taught the Bible. But you know, they weren't really converted. They never received the spirit of God. Before they were born again, if you look carefully, they were very religious. Listen to me, guys. These two men that I just described to you, they wrote books. (laughs) This is amazing. They wrote commentaries. They gave alms to the poor. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They shared their faith. They were growing in quantity. There's lots of bricks. They were growing in their record. Hey, they were growing their resume. But they were nothing more than that. Just just a pile. Why? Because they weren't growing themselves. Guys, I, I gotta tell you, this is a challenging message. I'm thinking there should be little beads of sweat dripping on your forehead right now. It's like, what? You know, there is a frightening little passage in 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to think about this. We're doing some work today this morning. I want you to think about this. Really frightening passage. What's really funny about the passage is that everybody reads it at their weddings. (laughs) Everybody reads it at funerals. And everybody has it at their home on their walls, you know, in calligraphy. But it is actually a frightening passage. It talks about what real love is. And then it describes real love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not boasting. It's gentle. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. You know, it describes all these qualities of love. How many know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, right? But then notice, when Paul's done talking about what it is, all these internal dispositions, all these attitudes, then look at what he says. Paul says, now, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, how many of you spoke the language of angels recently? Anybody here that spiritual? Okay, so we would admit, Paul is saying the creme de la creme of the spiritual. He's saying the very best of the best. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and that of angels, but if I didn't have love, I would be what? Come on, everybody. uh. Noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. Let's just keep going for just a minute. If you'd go to the next scripture. He says, and if I had faith that could move mountains. I gotta ask you a question. Anybody here recently pray a prayer and you've actually moved a mountain? I'd like to know. Because you have to understand what he's talking about here. He's saying, you are deeply spiritual people. If I had a faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, if I was even a martyr, and I sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have the internal disposition that was right along with it, it would be what? Nothing. What is fruit? See, He's talking about growing mechanically. Now, friends, you may be here and you may, 
You may do good, you may feed the poor, you may be evangelizing, you may be leading activities, you may be busy, or you may have come last week and you came for Easter and you said, I want Jesus to change my life, and so far you think it's about doing all those good things or it's about religious activity. Newsflash, it's not. You can do all of those things and have nothing. Now, I'm not saying you won't do those things. Certainly you will, but it's not just that if you don't have the right stuff working on the inside. So again, what is love? Come on, think about your life. Think about who you are for a minute. Let's read it together. Everybody ready? Love is patient and love is not jealous or, 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 it does not demand its own way. Stop and think about that the next time you have to win an argument. The next time you're in a fight with your husband or wife, or the next time you're harboring unforgiveness because somebody did something that you didn't like, just think about that. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being what? Wronged. Some of you, you are holding on to resentments. I'm telling you, that is an evidence of a lack of life. You should be concerned about that. Because he looks to the Corinthians, and don't you see what he's saying? He's saying, guys, you're a great church out in Corinth. By the way, the church in Corinthians were boisterous, they were loud, they were ecstatic, they were emotional, they operated in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm not saying gifts aren't good, but gifts aren't evidence. Gifts are just gifts. By the way, gifts aren't for me anyway. They're for the person I give them to. They're for the person through whom God uses me to bless. They're not about me. You know what the problem with the Christian church today in America is? We measure people's spirituality based on gifts. That's silly. That is silly. There have been people that have left here because they've said, well, we should see more gifts in operation. Wrong. You should see more fruit. Gifts will come. God will use you. But what you should see is fruit. You have all this mechanical growth, but you're still harsh. You have all this mechanical growth, but you're still rude. Some of you, you don't have any self-control. What is he saying? Well, do you know what Matthew 7 is saying? When Jesus says, on that day, there will be many people who will come up to me and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and gosh, we've performed many miracles in your name, but Jesus will reply what? I don't know you. You're an evildoer. Why? Listen to me. What I'm gonna say is very, very important to you. If people's lives are being changed through you, but your life isn't being changed, you need to fly to Jesus immediately. See, it's the fruit. It has to be internal. It has to be organic. It's gradual. It's inevitable. It's internal. Ready? But last, here's the last thing of the process of change. Write this down. This one's gonna blow your mind, <laughs> okay? Write this down. Change by Jesus is always symmetrical. Write that down, it's symmetrical. Now some of you are like, what the heck does that mean? I realize. But I told you, this is a bit of a mind blower here, so I want you to stay with me. For centuries, commentators have noticed that Paul does something very strange here, and I want for you to see it. He says, notice this, verse 22, he says, but the what? The fruit of the now, I want you to know, you can write this word down. It, the fruit is the Greek word karpos, K-A-R-P-O-S. It's the word karpos. 
It is a singular word. It is not plural. Notice Paul doesn't say the fruits. What does he say? It's the fruit. But then, while the subject is singular, the predictive is plural. He says it's all these things. The one fruit is all these things. Now, your English teacher is saying, Paul, you failed the class. What are you doing? You said it's one fruit, but now you're describing all these different things. What gives? What is that about? Well, this is what's fascinating. Paul actually does this on purpose because he's trying to show you something that helps you to measure what's going on in your life about real Christian change. That is that all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of these things are one and the same fruit. When it's real change, how do you know it's real change? When it's real change by the Spirit of God, when you have one of them, you will have all the others of them. They are one fruit. You know, years you say, okay, well, what do you mean? Well, I'll just illustrate it this way. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a book. I encourage you to pick it up. You can read it, not in Old English, but get this one, edited by Jason Dollar, and it was called Love and Its Fruit. Love and its fruit. And in one of his chapters, he makes this thesis. He says, listen, there's always a chain in the fruit of Christianity. What he's saying is, listen, if you want to know whether character growth is really happening in your life, if you want to know whether the love that's growing in your life is real spiritual love from the fruit of the spirit, from the gospel, that it's not, listen, what am I saying? That it's not a counterfeit. It's not something that's artificial or temporary. Listen, some of you, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are very loving people, but I'm telling you, it's just your psychology. It's just your temperament. You must see that the fruit of God's spirit always go together. Let me give you an example. Ready? Let me talk to you about two fruits. Everybody ready? All right. Here's peace and here's humility. Two fruits, right? Now, if you are a very proud person and you have a lot of unhealthy ego, but you seem to be at peace... Well, what is peace? Peace is a lack of worry, isn't it? Peace is a lack of anxiety. But what if you're a really prideful person, but you're at peace all the time? I'm telling you, that is not the spirit of God. That is a counterfeit peace. Why? Because godly peace will always go with humility. Godly peace is a peace that says, God, you know what I need, therefore I won't worry. You know what has to happen. I don't know. God, I'm the child. You're the father. So God, I put myself in your, pan, your hands. It's humility that leads to peace. Now you say, well, where do you see that? I say, you're gonna start seeing this all over the scripture. Notice, for example, James. Let me give you another example. James here where he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're gonna go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. He goes, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Idiot, he says. What is your life? You're a mist that just appears for a little while and then vanishes. Who are you to say you're gonna go tomorrow and make money? There's no humility in that. Things are going well for you? Well, the reason you're saying things are going well for you and you're at peace is because what you're saying is, I chose well. I'm saving my money, good for me. I have a good job that I earned. I went to a good school. I married a good person. Don't you see that all your peace is coming from your ego? It's a counterfeit peace. Do you get where I'm going? And I'm telling you, that kind of peace will eventually fall apart. Listen to me. The fruit 
always goes together. Now, this is why a lot of people go to church for years in their life and they fool themselves. The heart is deceitful above all the scripture says. You can do that. This is why Jesus constantly, do you know how much Jesus talked about this? Jesus was constantly talking to the crowds about the difference between sheep and goats, even though they're together. He talked about the difference between wheat and tares. He talked about people that build their house on a sand and people that build their house on the rock. They're both building houses. Jesus was constantly making reference to this point. These things go together. Let me give you another example. You see this in scripture all the time. Uh, John, he writes an epistle and he says, listen, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is what? You're a liar. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say, whoever says they love God but hates his brother is unbalanced. That's what we would say. Well, you know, you're doing good at one fruit, but you're unbalanced, you need another. No, 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 he says you're a liar, you're a fraud. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have, or whom they've seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. Why? Because he's a liar. Now, my point is, if you don't see the fruit connected in your life, you should look at it and say, Lord, why is that? What's going on? By the way, some of you in here today, let me, because I know I'm already going to get connection cards, let me offend you a little bit more. <laughs> Some of you are very, very gentle. You're so sweet. You are so sweet. Some of you, but I'm going to tell you something. You're not faithful. You're gentle. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because some people are temperamentally sweethearts. If you weren't a Christian, you'd still be a sweetheart. It's in your chemistry. It's in your physiology. It's in your Myers-Briggsness. You're just a sweetie. By the way, we know who you are, and you know who you are. And that's great. You're a sweet person, but you're a coward. You say, why am I a coward? I'll tell you why. Because you're so sweet, you won't tell people the truth. You have gentleness, but you have no loyalty. You have gentleness, but you have no faithfulness. Your gentleness, by the way, is completely selfish because you know in your heart the reason you're sweet is because you don't want confrontation. You don't want anybody to be mad at you. In fact, your love is completely selfish because what you're really concerned about is how you feel. Am I getting under anybody's skin? Aren't you glad you came for this encouraging message today? <laughs> Welcome to North Point. But don't you see that real love would require you to tell the truth? Don't you see that gentleness has to go with love? Some of you, man, I'm on fire with Je for Jesus, but you never tell anybody about it. You won't tell him the truth. By the way, I actually believe, brother, I love you, but I believe you're going to hell. You're afraid to tell anybody the truth. You see where I'm going with this? I'm not saying that's the best technique, by the way. I apologize. <laughs> we have an evangelism class uh, that will teach you the best way to do that. That wasn't it. But you get, you get my point. That Pastor Andrew's teaching a class right in the beginning of May. You need to look this up on the internet, and you need to go to it. It'll teach you how to share in a good way. But the point is, the point that I'm making is the fruit comes together. You need to ask yourself, is there symmetry? So... I told you I'm going to give you four things about the process that you're looking for. And I want you looking for that over the next several weeks. 
And I want you talking to your friends. I want you talking to your loved ones. I want you talking to your small groups. Asking the question, by the way, not only are all these studies starting that are so cool, but in Kerman, we're actually doing a different series because we're doing a small groups campaign. So if you live in the area of Kerman, you don't belong to a small group, but you want to, or you're just willing to drive, you can sign up for a Kerman small group. North Point Kerman's going on that kicks off today. We'll, we'll get you in. Just write it on your connection card. Pastor Lance will call you and get you all hooked up. Sound good? All right, so what should you do? Let me give you a couple points. I'm going to tee it up for next week. Here we go. Let me give you a couple quick points because you've got to be willing to look at yourself. Listen, you've got to get into God's word and you've got to say in your heart, God, are these things growing in my life? Do you see? What does scripture say? We read it. Come on. What do you have to do? Look at what it says. It says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, what does that mean exactly, living by the Spirit? It means that you're taking effort, that your life, that your action is in step with the Holy Spirit. You're living by the Spirit. You're living a yielded life. Lord, you're on the throne. Now, what's the evidence? Well, it's organic, internal attitudes or disposition. Guys, i got to stop here for just a minute. Have you noticed that we tend to judge sins of actions so much more harshly than we judge sins of attitude? Have you ever noticed that? For example, if I said to you that, man, I lose my temper all the time at home and I punch holes in the wall and I've kind of pushed my wife around a little bit, you would say, get that guy off the stage, he should not be our pastor. Or if I told you I was sleeping around with somebody else even though I was married, would you want me to be your pastor? Of course you wouldn't. But if I told you I'm full of pride, if I told you I struggle with lustful thoughts, you know what you'd say? You'd say, praise God, the pastor's human. Thanks God, thank God for his vulnerability? Wow. And I'm not saying that there's not a difference in those things. I just think it's interesting that we don't focus on our attitudes and the fruit of the Spirit is all about your attitudes. It's all about what's going on on the inside. Are you seeing the combination of these things? The fruit of the Spirit is, let's read it together. Come on, everybody. Let's go to the next scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you see those things operating in your life, celebrate. But if they're not growing in your life, then you're living lower than you ought to be. And you can live higher than you are. And so ask yourself, what's getting in the way? Now, let me give you some tips. You ready? Paul closes with this scripture about the process of change. Look at what he says. I'm going to read it right here. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the sinful nature with its what? And? So he says, since we live by the? Let us keep in step with the? For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now, let me just summarize this and we're gonna expand on this in weeks to come, okay? So keep coming, keep inviting your friends. You're gonna notice in scripture there's always two things if you want to grow in grace, always two. You're gonna see this, by the way, you can write these references down. You can see this in Romans 8, read it later. You can see this in Colossians 3, again, Romans 8, Colossians 3. You'll see it again in Hebrews chapter 12, and you'll see it right here. There's always two. 
Let me give you one of them, how it's put here in Galatians. It always says it a little different, but it's always two. And here's what it says. Number one, here's what you need to do. Crucify your sinful nature. Crucify it. Crucify what? Now, what does crucify mean? Well, I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus was crucified, so that means what did they do to him? They, come on, I can't hear anybody. Yeah, they put him on a cross. What did they do before that? They beat him down. What else did they do? They publicly humiliated him. Publicly. What else did they do? They chastised him. They, hung, they nailed him to a cross. What is Paul saying you need to do your sin? He's saying you need to beat it down. You need to chastise it. You need to publicly put it to open shame. Many of you aren't getting over your sins because you failed to put it to public shame. You're hiding it. You need to just get real about it. You need to crucify it. You need to deal with your sinful nature. Does it mean to just stop? No. Let me tell you what sin is. James says, this is what sin is. Look, at, it's in James. He says, and remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting you. God is never tempted to do wrong. So many people, it's like, well, God, you know, he has his mysterious ways. He must have wanted me to do that. No, don't blame God. That's Oprah Winfrey spirituality. It is not scripture. Some of you, you know what the problem is? You get all your theology from Facebook. Cut it out. Or Instagram. No, here's what sin is. Temptation comes from our own what? Desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires, circle the word desires, that's the key. These desires give birth to what? The Greek word for desires, you can put it up on the screen. It's a little word called epithemia. Now, it doesn't just mean desire. That's a bad translation. What it actually means is over-desire. It means you don't just want something, but you can see that you want it way too much. There's an over-desire going on, an epi-desire, an over-desire. It's like you lust after it. Now, look at what it says based on that. He says, those who belong to Jesus have to crucify that over-desire. They crucify it. They recognize, listen, you may want something. It may be sexual. It may be medicinal. It may be alcohol. It may, I, again, I could think of a number of different things. Some of you want to be married. That's good that you want to be married, but maybe you want it just too much. Some of you want to make money. That's good, but maybe you want to make money too much. You have to identify the over-desires in your life. I'm gonna tell you why you wanna identify those. Because those are the things that are really running your life. You say it's Jesus running your life, but it's your epithemia running your life. And it's creating works of the flesh. Those are the things that you need to crucify. Remember what I said last week? I said, go away this week and kill a sin. Just do it. Just go kill one. Don't pick lilies. Don't hunt for eggs. Kill a sin, I said. But that's just one part. Here's the second part. You ready? It says your job is to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, look here at verse 17. This is the key. Look at it. It says, let's read it together. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Notice it says the spirit epithemias. The spirit desires. Isn't that interesting? What does this, it's what it's saying is that the Holy Spirit actually has lust too. Can you believe that? You're going to go home and say, the pastor said the Holy Spirit lusts, you know. 
What does the Holy Spirit lust for, do you think? The Holy Spirit lusts for you to be in love with Jesus. Listen, keep learning to fall in love with Jesus. In other words, start communicating with the Holy Spirit. For example, in the scripture it says that we are his bride, he is the bridegroom. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the best man of the wedding. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is the maid of honor. The Holy Spirit is the matchmaker. In other words, the Spirit is the person who brings you to Jesus and makes you see how beautiful Jesus is. The Spirit is always saying to you, look how beautiful Jesus is. By the way, I love those churches that talk about the Holy Spirit and they say, man, you guys don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. All you do is talk about Jesus. And somebody wrote a book once that I like. I like this guy, but he wrote a book called The Holy Spirit is Like the Forgotten God. And I'm like, you guys don't get it. The Holy Spirit himself said that his job is to bring glory to Jesus. Jesus said he will bring glory to me. That's the job. We're not supposed to recognize the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws us to the Lord. And we say, look how beautiful he is. The spirit is always looking at you and saying, don't you see the beauty of Christ? And he lusts for you to get that. Some of you, you know why you don't have self-control? Let's just be real. You know why you don't have any self-control going on in your life? Is because you see the beauty of that thing, but you don't see the beauty of Jesus. Some of you, the whole reason you don't have love is because you don't see how beautiful Jesus is. The whole reason you're worried all the time is because you don't see how beautiful Jesus is. You just don't see it. So what would I encourage you to do? Do you know how simple this is? I've just given you an in-depth Bible teaching, but do you know how simple this is? What's the secret? Start spending time with God. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with God. Talk with God. Praise God, adore God, give thanks to God, spend time loving him. How many of you couples that are here as couples, you know that you gotta romance each other to keep it going? Your relationship with Jesus is just as much a relationship as your relationship with a person. How many of you that are single here, you have deep friendships, but you know that if you're not hanging out, you're not gonna have that friendship anymore. It will change. Spend time with Jesus. By the way, I am so proud. I'm so excited that our early morning prayer has grown so much. We do early morning prayer on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which I invite you all to. I started doing it just because I'm having quiet time in the morning, so why not invite my friends to join me? Especially if you're here and you don't know how to do it or how to talk to God, you can come. But you know, it's grown so much, we're moving it over to the Bullard Chapel, the Bullard Campus. Isn't that awesome? And so this Tuesday and Thursday, 6 a.m., if any of you want to go, you can come, 6 a.m. Some of you are like, is Jesus up at 6 (laughs) a.m.? And I'm just going to say to you, he really is. Can you believe that? Now, part of the reason some of you, you're still not seeing organic, life-giving Christian change is because you don't spend any time with God. Let's be honest. You come to church once a week. No, you know what the average church attendance is today in America? twice a month. Let me ask you, how healthy would you be if you ate twice a month? How many of you, I would just like to know, how many of you eat every day? Come on, show me, show me, show me, show me. No, show me your hands. I need to see them. Everybody, there you go. Oh, you do. Okay, good. So you've proven you have some modicum of discipline going on in your life. You're able to eat every day. 
If you didn't eat every day, would you be healthy? Well, you might get by for a while, but some of you, you're not healthy, and it's simply because you're not eating. You're not feeding. You're not keeping in step with the Spirit, and then you wonder why you have no victory. I'll tell you why you have no victory. You're lazy. You're pampered. You don't feel like it. Gosh, I'm gonna, we're going to have half the attendance next week. I'm offending so many people. <laughs> it's like if you just say, God, you are a big enough priority to me that I'm going to spend time with you regularly, you would see the change that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Now notice, he doesn't say, by the way, Paul doesn't say it's fruit and it's weeds. Notice he mixes the metaphors. He says fruit and acts or fruit and works. Why? Because all that other stuff you're going to, it's just, it's, it's a mechanical imitation. It's fast food. It's not real. And you're going to alcohol. I hate it when people say, I have to have a drink. Do you really have to have it? By the way, if you have to have it, that makes you an alcoholic. No. What you need to do is spend time in the presence of God. Do you know that Paul describes, by the way, just to go on a tangent about alcohol for just a minute, then we'll be done. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine that leads to dissipation, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice he makes a direct comparison between alcohol and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know why? Because they both will do the same exact thing. It's just that they do it in two completely different opposite ways. Alcohol numbs you and closes you that you don't see anything anymore. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes that you begin to see everything. And, and you just need to go to him, and he'll change your life. All right, I've talked enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every man or woman that's here, every person. I just ask you to bless them and lead them and direct them. Lord, help us to grow and to change and to be the people that you have called us to be, God. Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. God, we just we surrender ourselves to you. Just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Lead me. Let me be in step with your spirit. Guide me. Teach me your truth. Help me to spend time with you daily. I want to fall in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.